Birds, Patient and Public Engagement Podcasts. Hello and welcome back and thank you for joining me in this second episode of our information series aimed at young adults with rheumatic conditions. My name is Mel Brook and I am the Patient and Public Engagement Programme Director for BIRD. In today's podcast, I'm joined by Jan Ball, who is a clinical nurse specialist in rheumatology at the RNHRD in Bath. Jan has been involved in the concept of creating a special transitional clinic for young people as they move between a paediatric rheumatology setting to an adult clinical care setting. And she's going to give us a little bit more detail about how that works and the kinds of things that happen in the young adults clinic. It's also worth pointing out that Jan is talking to me from a hospital background environment so you might hear the odd siren so apologies for that. Hello Jan, thanks for being with me today. Hi Mel, thanks for having me, thanks for the invitation. It's a pleasure and I'm really interested to chat to you now about this clinic that you've been involved with for young adults and this is going to form part of our podcast series that's all geared around young adults so I think it would be really nice to sort of understand what what you currently do because you work at the RNHRD in Bath Mm -hmm. um, and you're a clinical nurse specialist in rheumatology so I'm guessing you do lots of different types of nursing um, and the young adults clinic is obviously one of them So, yes, I do. I work in the general adult service and I see people with lots of different diagnoses. I work with people that have things like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis and some of the connective tissue diseases. And I was I didn't set up. But when Dr. Tansley and Dr. Rogers um, got together and started to set up the young adult clinic years ago, I was along for that journey. So I'm the clinical nurse specialist at the RNHRD who works in the young adult clinics. So these clinics are usually on a Monday morning um, and we try to run them on a monthly basis. Um, And each month there will be me in clinic um, alongside a registrar, which is usually Dr. Sarah Tansley and um, one of our consultants, uh, either Dr. Eli Korendovic or Dr. Raj Sengupta. Brilliant. Okay, thanks for giving us that overview. So how do you communicate with young people to get them to their appointments? I'm just curious because obviously I'm not sure that things like letters or texts would work best. So do you phone them? How does that work? So we still use letters. Um, We are uh, waiting to start using a text reminder service, which is probably a better way of communicating, to be honest with you, because everybody tends to be attached to their phone nowadays. And I'm hoping mm. that this will have the effect of, of reminding people about their appointments. And we're hoping that the service that we offer will give people the opportunity to change their appointments within that text message. So it's a bit easier than sometimes letters. People can sometimes 
sometimes not receive their letters or you know with the young people I see sometimes they're staying away from home you know at university or um, for various sort of travels and things and they don't often um, pick up letters they end up going to their home address or not at all. Mm. I was going to say to you are they generally quite good at turning up for appointments and do, do they let you know if they can't make it if they're away? Um, Generally, yes. Um, I think the non-arrival rate is slightly higher in our young adult clinics, but I usually take that as a sign that they're doing okay if they don't mm. turn up and they haven't come to see us. For anybody listening to this, it isn't really okay not to turn up to your appointment without letting us know. Um, you know, this this bit sounds like a bit of a lecture, but, you know, our young adults wait many months sometimes for an appointment with us. Mm -hmm. And so, Absolutely. you know, yeah, if people are not able to attend, if they could let us know, then it means that appointment can be rebooked and that will have the knock on effect that somebody else doesn't have to wait quite so long to see us. If you just yeah. don't turn up, then we have that gap in our day, which is lovely because we catch up. But actually, it's an appointment that was wasted that could have been given to somebody else who might have desperately needed it yeah yeah I mean it must be quite difficult sometimes to juggle an appointment in and around education for one thing and work and sometimes young people are doing both so you you kind of understand that it could be quite a juggle to fit an appointment in yeah absolutely I mean you know unfortunately the way our appointment system works there's very little flexibility to mm. book an appointment with somebody individually they're just taken from the waiting list whenever they're due and they go out to the patients by letter at the moment when when people get notified of their appointment if it's inconvenient they can contact appointments and change it to a more convenient time but you know I really appreciate that life gets in the way sometimes you know there are sometimes problems regarding time and cost if they're at university somewhere far away from bath logistically there are sometimes problems with them attending if you're very busy i'm guilty of this myself you know things slip through mm. the net so i completely get it and and you know there's always going to be occasions where people make mistakes but if people do get an appointment letter and they know from the first um, moment that they're not going to be able to attend then it, it you know we just really appreciate it if they would let us know yes I agree and it takes a while doesn't it to get your head around the importance of meeting your health needs when life's really busy you you have to prioritize time sometimes yeah absolutely within your yeah. life and yeah. I say that I think that's something that's you know not particular to the young adults that I see I think that's something that maybe everybody needs to take notice of you know your your health mm. sometimes has to take priority over work okay. studies other commitments that you might have especially if you're struggling you know and um, yeah. and you're not quite where you need to be with disease control or, or getting on top of things mm. I think it's a learning curve and we all have to yeah, go through absolutely. it so let's talk about the kind of people that you would usually see in the young adults clinic so the kind of you know, the age range and the you know is there more females than males I'm guessing it's all types of arthritis what can you tell us about that term? so there's no real kind of difference between the sexes we see there's a mixture of, mm -hmm. of boys and girls we usually start to see people 
at around age 17. Sometimes they will have transitioned from the paediatric service, but they can be a new referral that has come in through their GP surgery. If they're mm -hmm. transitioning up from the paediatric service with um, Dr. Rogers, then we always try our best for me and Sarah to go to their last appointment with the paediatric team um, so that they can mm. meet us and see that we're a friendly bunch. Hopefully this will reduce any anxieties about moving into the young adult service. There isn't really a set age that we say you have to come into the young adult clinics it will be different for everybody dr rogers and her team are amazing and they will work mm. with the the young people that have come through the pediatric service and when they're ready to move into the young adults then they will send us a letter letting us know about these people that we're going to pick up into our clinics and that's when sarah and i will make arrangements to come down and meet them and say hi and they say sometimes that can be people that are 15, 16, sometimes it can be 17, 18. It's really different for everybody because obviously everybody's journey is, is different in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And how long do they kind of stay with you to what kind of age? Again, no set age that they move into the adult service proper, but we usually mm -hmm. expect it to be somewhere in their mid-twenties. Um, once they've finished their studies, they're at work, they're getting on with life. It's mm. more of a gradual progression, more than a definite, you've reached this age, so you have to go into the adult service. It usually happens when people are stable on medication, they're doing well, as I said, getting on with their life. Um, and I was saying that, I've still got some people in their thirties that are in my young adult clinic. So it really is different for everybody. Um, and there isn't a, yeah. a hard and fast rule, so. Yeah. And is it very different working with young people than it is working with um, older adults? Um, in some respects, yeah. I, I mean, we're all people. So I don't think younger people are any, you know, they don't get any more or less upset or anxious than older people. We all react mm -hmm. to situations in different ways and, and that's regardless of how old you are. In my experience, yeah. I think young adults are generally different because they have less life experience. Sometimes they, they're a little bit less confident in, um, you know, dealing with strangers, coming to their appointments. They're obviously used to being accompanied by their parents who will often talk for them and be very involved in their care and so I think you just have to be aware of that that, that they just have a different life experience to people that I might see in the adult service and so I try mm. my best to make sure that we build that relationship that they feel at ease with me make sure that they've understood everything that we've spoken about ask them is there anything that you you need to bring up with me do you want to talk to me about anything rather than waiting for them to initiate that conversation and that's something mm. that that definitely gets easier the more often they're seen in the young adult service they get to know the team they feel more relaxed and and i'm hoping that you know that means that they feel more confident about bringing up um, things that they're worried about and, and initiating conversations um, with us that are, that are more meaningful to mm. them rather than me sitting there just dictating how I feel the appointment should be. Mm. I guess they would, like you said, over time they will learn, hopefully they'll feel more relaxed and then they'll learn 
the gist of what yeah, they need to yeah, be asking and what's absolutely and yeah. and you know i mean god i love it they're they're interesting and funny and i love hearing about mm. you know their plans for their studies and their careers and and just their lives in general and and their circumstances are very different to the grown-ups the adults that i see you know young people are growing up they're exploring their identities they're sort of trying to find their place in the world and at mm. the time that we see them you know in their late teens and early 20s that this is often the time in your life when you're moving away from home you're becoming more independent you're perhaps going to university starting a new job and that's really different to to adults that are in that kind of daily grind of life they're demanding jobs mortgages to pay families to manage youngsters are very different social lives you know mm. so it's a whole different ball game really to to the adults but again even though they're very different there are lots of similarities because we're all just people at the end of the day yeah and have they done their homework usually before they come in are they usually looked it up i mean everyone's got access to the internet now i mean i think People that I see that have come through the paediatric service are usually very knowledgeable about their diagnosis because obviously they've been mm. managing that alongside their families for sometimes many years. Sometimes with the new referrals, it's a little bit different. They might have just been given their diagnosis and really be at sea, not have any information, not really know what this thing is how it's going to impact their life and so it's natural for people to be curious and try and find out more about their diagnosis i mean i know that i would but we always <laughs> recommend really reputable websites like versus arthritis the nhs uh, nas arthur's place anywhere that the information given is correct mm. so how do you provide information to them if they need it do you do you have a, a range of leaflets you can give them or do you just send them to the right sort of So, yes, yeah, so a mixture of both. We have lots of leaflets in clinic versus arthritis, previously Arthritis UK, are brilliant at producing patient literature and we use a lot of their leaflets in clinic. So when we see people face to face, we can either give them the leaflet or uh, direct them to the website depending on your diagnosis there are specialist websites for each different diagnosis and so we would signpost people again perhaps to those websites we are looking at things like qr codes that people can just mm. flash with their phone and that will take them to links on various websites information depending on what their need is and obviously the rnhrd website has lots of links and further information there's also a, a nice section there on frequently asked questions so the common problems easy fixes are all on the the hospital website as well okay we can put some of those links in our um show notes i think yeah so. yeah so in clinic, um, when you've sort of had that initial chat, what happens next? Are you doing questionnaires and things like that for them? So, yeah, so when we see people face-to-face -face in clinic, we'll do a physical examination, not straight off. We obviously sit them down, have a chat, say hello, see how things are going. Yeah. Um, at some point during that conversation, we will ask them if we can do a physical examination just to assess their general health and their disease activity. There are questionnaires and again, it really depends on your diagnosis. 
those are things that are specially designed to measure quality of life, the impact of people's symptoms on their activities, things like how much pain people have, fatigue, what their sleep is mm. like. The questionnaires that we use in the young adult clinic tend to be the adult ones. They're differently designed to the paediatric <laughs> forms, but they capture a similar set of information. We do now mm-hmm. have iPads in our clinic rooms and we're moving away from having lots of paper forms for people to fill in. And so a lot of our outcomes are now recorded on the iPad, which is completed while you're waiting for the appointment or in the waiting room after you've seen um, the team. And we're also in this post-COVID world, we're moving towards asking people to log on from home and complete their scores at home. And that's really useful if we're doing telephone Mm. conversations or if somebody phones up with any problems. It's nice to be able to get a little set of measurements just to monitor how people are doing compared to previous. Mm -hmm. Do they use apps or is it mainly on the yeah, iPad so there already? There are a few apps around, but none officially that we're using currently. They, all right. of the information that we capture from our patients currently goes through a specific database set up for us called Meridian. There are some apps that we're starting to use to enable people to do things like joint counts, spinal scores for people that have AS at home but there's a few of them flying around and we're piloting just to find out what the best is and and what's most reliable. Okay so in terms of treatments that might happen in the clinic what kinds of things would you be doing with patients? So actually in the clinic appointment itself we would discuss treatment options so people may be started on different medications That will often happen. Mm -hmm. They will see Dr. Tansley or one of our consultants. And if they want to start a medication, that's when the patients will usually come in and sit with me. I will have a bit more time to go through the medication with them, explain the side effects of this, Mm. how it's taken, give them their prescription. Actual interventional treatment like joint injections and taking bloods, So if somebody is really struggling and they don't mind having a joint injection then and there, the doctors can sometimes do that. In the Mm paediatric service, things like blood taking and joint injections are often done under anaesthetic. They can have numbing cream put on their skin before they have blood taken. Unfortunately, Mm. in the proper adult service, that never happens. Um, And the young adult clinic (laughs) is somewhere in between those two things. So unfortunately, the, the risks of, you know, giving somebody an anaesthetic for a relatively simple procedure like a joint injection in an adult is unfeasible because the risks of that anaesthetic are too high. But we do yeah. have things like Entonox that's available, which helps with pain. And so if people are worried about having any procedure done without an anaesthetic, um, we can bring them back in for a short appointment where we can use the Entonox and laughing gas. Um, and that will help with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
blood tests are not actually done in the clinic room, but we have a really good phlebotomy team out in the waiting room that take all of our blood tests. And again, they do have the numbing cream. So if people are very worried, they don't feel confident about having blood tests taken, if they've always had that numbing cream used, then our team do have the ability to, to use that. But to be honest with you, I think most of our young adults can manage a simple blood test. But again, it's different for everybody and and we work with whatever makes people comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's all part of building that relationship, helping them to become confident. And over time, as they build their confidence and as they get more used to the team, do they open up about all kinds of things that are affecting them? Generally, in my experience, people do tend to be open and obviously as they build the relationship with the young adult team, the appointments become more relaxed. We're all familiar with each other. We know each Mm. other. And I think in that situation, it's easier for people to bring up kind of more tricky subjects, private subjects. At that time of your life, you're sometimes experimenting, again, trying to find your identity, trying to find out who you are mm-hmm. um and obviously you don't have that kind of conversation in every single appointment we encourage we try and encourage people to be independent to self-manage and gradually take over their own care I'm their nurse they can tell me anything I'm not going to judge them I'm not yeah. going to tell them off I think it's actually really important that they do feel that they can be honest with me And we can have a conversation about whatever that is. An easy example, I think, is if they haven't been taking their medication. They either don't like it, they keep forgetting. And they don't tell me that. I might think that they've been taking it regularly and it hasn't worked. And so that would make me make decisions about their treatment, which might not be the most appropriate choice for them. And that's a really a simple Mm. example. But that's why, you know, I don't expect everybody to walk into my room and bear their soul immediately. But it is really important that we build up this trusting relationship so that when the guys come into clinic, they can say to me, oh, do you know what, Jan, it's all going to be bit wrong and then we can work out a plan going forward so yeah it's that honest open communication isn't it just gonna get them the best results really and I would think as we all do as you get older you build a friendship network around you and that becomes really supportive and you you almost spend more time with that network at times do they tell you if they talk to their friends about everything and if they feel supported by them and their schools or places Um, of work again it varies but I encourage people to be open about their diagnosis I think often it makes things a little easier if their friends um you know tutors managers have a knowledge of of their condition mostly it's not going to be a a problem but on the occasions where people are struggling with their diagnosis or if we're trying to settle them onto a new treatment it's more useful if the people that are around them in their everyday life understand a little bit about Mm. what is going on um, and offer them that support Mm. and certainly you know with tutors and managers 
sometimes people might need support with their duties at work or with their studies um, and it's quite nice to have somebody who understands a little bit to build that flexibility in rather than pretending that you're okay there's nothing wrong and then it makes it all a bit more of a struggle mm. for you so I, I try and encourage people to be mm. a little they don't have to share their medical history with everyone but to be a little bit open about what's going on with them mm. And do they tell you what um, kinds of difficulties? Yeah, I hope so. Again, um, it goes back, Mel, to what we were saying before about just building that relationship. And I think, you know, sometimes mm. the first appointment or two when we're all getting to know each other, maybe they're not as productive. But as we kind of get to know each other, um, as these problems pop up, then we can deal with them. And, you know, even in between appointments, if people only get seen once every three months once every six months there's always the opportunity you can contact me by telephone if any specific problem arises and we can chat and manage that over the phone and, and give advice at any time really so so they've got yes yeah, so we have a patient line. advice line we yeah. we as I said before, we do try and encourage um, self-management and a lot of the simple stuff can be dealt with by just mm. going on to one of the really good websites or looking at our frequently asked questions. But I have absolutely no problem with people phoning me up for advice. I would rather they did that than sat at home and worried and not knew what to do. Yeah. And yeah, so in between appointments, we're yeah. always available to, to iron out little um, crinkles that might occur between times yeah or things that yeah absolutely um you know and i know sometimes when you're in hospital appointments it's very difficult to remember everything that you want to say and oftentimes there are questions and you think oh god i should have asked this and that's fine you mm. know to follow up with yeah. a telephone call so sometimes if there are a few things that you want to bring up with the team when you come up to your appointment it's sometimes a good idea to just jot down a little list unfortunately in the real world yeah. we don't have unlimited time for our appointments so it's quite useful for our team if somebody comes in and has a clear idea of what they want from the appointment but you know and and just jotting them down or putting a note on your phone a reminder on your phone just so that you don't leave that appointment without getting everything from it that you perhaps hoped before you came in just makes life a little bit easier just to have those little prompts and people get anxious you get worried in appointments you're in a, a strange environment you're sent from here to there so it's very easy to forget and get nervous and forget what you were going to ask happens to us all yeah i think it's a good rule of thumb is to always go in and make sure you've made a note of the, of the things you yeah absolutely i mean today, i'll always check with somebody towards the end of the consultation is there anything else that you want to discuss with me today but obviously yeah if that's something that's really important to you and is going to take a wee while to sort out we don't want you to bring that out when there's only three minutes of the consultation left <laughs> um, you know so it just no, helps to no. kind of be a little bit more organized and get these things out on the table kind of early doors so that we can get through everything that that people want yeah no I absolutely agree so John we touched on a little bit earlier about the current situation with the with Covid and the difficulty of 
having face-to-face appointments and you said that things were being done by telephone so, how's that panning um, out the it's been it, interesting times i think is the phrase so before covid mm-hmm. um all of our activity was was face-to-face we used to see people for appointments we would mm-hmm. bring them in we would be able to do physical examinations but when the covid lockdown started all of our appointments were put on hold for a few months so we couldn't see anybody and since rheumatology mm. has been going back to some kind of normal activity we've been doing the majority of our appointments over the telephone it's working well in some respects we still see new patients face to face because obviously it's important to do a thorough examination to see what's going on and be yeah. able to pin down a diagnosis for them yeah um and we do still see um, certain people face to face. So people that might be struggling, having repeated flares of their disease, people that are not doing very well on their medication, people that we're thinking about changing medications for. But the majority of our routine follow up appointments uh-huh. are over the telephone. I think that works well if you're doing fine there's no point Mm -hmm. in dragging somebody into a hospital appointment for them to sit down for five minutes yes i'm fine there are no changes thank you very much goodbye if somebody is doing less well then it's more difficult over the telephone physical things like joint counts having to look at various lumps and bumps to see what's going on over the telephone you're just really playing a guessing game to a certain extent some of our patients are getting really good at doing their own joint counts over the telephone with us supervising them there will always Mm. be people that need to be seen face to face but i think covid will really change the way that we work and i'm sure many appointments in the future will be remote rather than um, bringing people in all the time Mm. and that that's a good thing because it takes some pressures off of the system you know hopefully it will make uh, the appointments waiting lists a little bit more manageable if we can do more telephone follow-ups which tend to be a little bit quicker than face-to-face appointments yeah it's all been a huge learning curve and fast track things that were going to happen in the future are kind of happening just that bit quicker so it's difficult to know exactly where it will lead but i'm sure there'll be a mix of options in terms of yeah yeah absolutely and especially over the winter we really don't know how it's going to evolve yeah yeah absolutely no forecasting is there really so before we wrap up i really appreciate that you spent the time talking to us about all this today jan thank you so much i think it really has given us a good insight into a young adults clinic setting the final thing that i'd just like to ask you is if when you're talking to people we talked about medications and obviously bird are an organization that are very keen on supporting research into treatments and medications for rheumatic conditions do you hear young people saying they're interested in that the rnhrd is very research active we have lots and lots of stuff going on all of the time um um, and if anybody is interested in taking part in research i would you know encourage them to get in touch with bird um with the uh rheumatology research department at the iuh there are different studies that are being recruited to all of the time and they change regularly 
we do sometimes do separate mm. things like we try to set up um focus groups sometimes um you know we'll try and send out questionnaires if there's something else that we're looking in maybe regarding service development how we can make things a little bit better or slick things up a little bit um, and we'll approach people kind of individually yeah research is quite a broad term isn't it i mean you mentioned things like focus groups you know there's opinion sharing there's there's allowing your data to be collected. So research isn't always about medicines and people in labs doing stuff, is it? It's it's all kinds of things. It's, it's gathering information. Yeah, as, absolutely. As you know, so, research is, yeah. is just finding things out. Yeah, I think absolutely. it's important to, to highlight that, that it, it's many different things. Thanks, Jan. It's been lovely chatting with you, Jan. Thank you again for all the time that you've given us this morning and i think we're going to have a really nice informational podcast for people to hear about this thanks very much mo it was my pleasure and i'm glad i could help thanks very much for inviting me bye speak soon john bye i hope you enjoyed today's podcast And just a reminder that you can sign up to hear about more podcasts and all the patient engagement research opportunities that are upcoming by joining our mailing list. All you have to do is send an email to admin at birdbath.org.uk. The link is also in the text description of this podcast. We would also like to thank Health Watch Bath and North East Somerset for helping to fund this podcast.